Hello, this is Manisha Takor. Welcome to the Money Zen Podcast, where I strive to bring you information and inspiration to help you create the financial life that makes your heart sing. Having worked in the financial services industry for over 25 years, I have seen time and again how many smart, hardworking, well-intentioned individuals find themselves confused, overwhelmed, and frustrated about their relationship with money. This podcast series is rooted in my belief that to solve this problem, we don't need more financial information. What we need is more financial wisdom. What we need is clear, unbiased guidance to help us take the optimal actions with our money to achieve our own unique, authentic life goals. I call this financial wisdom Money Zen. As such, the interviews that I will conduct on this Money Zen podcast are designed to help you receive and achieve exactly that. Some of the topics we will cover will be obvious choices for a financial podcast. Topics such as budgeting, investing, and retirement planning. Other topics may surprise you as we delve into advice ranging from how to create your dream professional network to how to find your ideal work-life fit. Taken together, it's my hope that this collection of recordings, which will touch on the topic of money from a wide range of angles, will help you craft your own unique path to your own definition of money's end. So without further ado, let's get on to today's episode. Today's guest, Stacy Francis, joins us from New York City. Early in her life, Stacy witnessed how devastating life could be for women who are not empowered through financial education. Stacy's grandmother stayed in an abusive marriage because she did not have the skills to effectively deal with money. That experience changed Stacy's life and drove her into the finance field. Professionally, Stacy is the president and CEO of Francis Financial and a nationally recognized financial expert who attended the New York University Center for Finance, Law, and Taxation, where she completed the Certified Financial Planner designation. With over 18 years of experience in the financial industry, Stacy is a certified divorce financial analyst, a divorce financial analyst strategist, as well as a certified estate and trust specialist. A busy woman, Stacy is also the director of the Association of Divorce Financial Planners, Greater New York Metro Chapter, and a member of the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors and the Financial Planning Association. Stacy is also one of 20 of the nation's leading wealth managers on CNBC's Digital Financial Advisor Council and she frequently appears in media outlets such as CNN, PBS, The Wall Street Journal, and USA Today. Importantly, as much as 10% of all Francis financial proceeds are donated to charities, including Savvy Ladies, a nonprofit organization founded by Stacy to educate and empower women to take control of their finances. Since its founding, Savvy Ladies has helped over 15,000 women through free one-on-one financial consulting, workshops, and retreats. Personally, Stacy grew up in the countryside in Michigan, which sparked her love of animals and the outdoors. She enjoys snowboarding, skiing, and horseback riding with her family. Stacy is as active as it gets, and she loves her morning boot camp, running marathons, and training for triathlons. Her favorite activities include cooking with her kids for their monthly chopped cooking competitions, discovering new wines with her husbands, swimming with the dolphins in the Bahamas, and scuba diving in the Dominican Republic. 
Captain Stacy and her family are also avid sailors, and she recently acquired her sailing certification. Stacy's favorite quote is by Henry Ford, quote, whether you think that you can or you can't, you're usually right. Welcome, Stacy. Well, thank you, Manisha. It's absolutely wonderful to be here today. So your firm, Francis Financial, recently published a groundbreaking white paper called Unveiling the Unspoken Truth, the Financial Challenges Women Face During and After Divorce. What prompted you to want to do this original research? You know, it's interesting. Uh, when you look at women, a lot of the figures make it seem like we're doing pretty well financially. Uh, in fact, we're now at the point where we control 51% of all the personal wealth in the United States. This number is expected to actually go up from the 14 trillion to 22 trillion by 2020. So you, it looks like a pretty rosy picture, but what we have seen is that despite these increases in wealth, the path to financial security in particular for divorced women has many, many, many obstacles. And as we spoke to these women, we saw that a lot of their concerns, their fears, their challenges, many of them they had in common. And research also tells us that this is actually right, that women who go through divorce do not ever really recover from these financial consequences. In fact, according to the Social Security Administration, um, women who are divorced have dramatically lower incomes and much, much higher staggering levels of poverty in their older age. It, it comes down to about 20% of divorced women between the ages of age 65 and 85 live in poverty. So can you believe that 20%, 20% of divorced women, when you look around, every woman who's divorced, look at two out of 10 are going to be considered below the poverty line by the time they get to 65 or beyond. So our goal was to reveal the emotional, the legal, and the financial challenges that, that women face not only during divorce, but that also haunts them for the rest of their life, to educate these women, to give them the tools they need to make smart decisions, but also to banish this myth that women are doing okay just because of increase in wealth, and to educate the other professionals in their life, the divorce lawyers, the estate planning attorneys, their accountants, and their financial professionals on how to best work with women going through as well as after divorce. I love that the focus is emotional, financial, and legal. It's so comprehensive. Tell us a little bit about the research methodology. Who, broadly speaking, were the women who participated in this study? We interviewed 150 women for the Women, Divorce, and Money study. And what's interesting, uh, all of these women came to us either women we knew who had been divorced or other colleagues that we highly recommend. Uh, the research was able to encompass women in about 25 states, uh, but about half of the women, 51%, were here in, in New York City, in the New York State area. 
the participation of the ages was uh, the average age of women were about was about 49, and a good number of the women actually worked. 47% of those women responding currently worked full time. Uh, about 18% worked part time. 9% had already retired, and then about 5% were either actively volunteering or working with different nonprofits. All of them had been married, and the majority had been married for what's considered in a long-term marriage. So 57% of those participants were married 10 years or more. And after their marriage and during their marriage, they had to balance children. 84% of these women had children. And of these participants who had children, 65% had children that were actually still living at home with them. So essentially age 20 or younger. So this was, this is actually not just uh, a group of women that, you know, were dealing with children and now these children are independent. Uh, the majority of these women, 65% have children at home. The net worth of these uh, respondents also I think is really helpful to know too, because the net worth of these women, um, I think mostly because a lot of these women live in the New York area, which as we know is one of unfortunately the most expensive places to live, the net worth is higher than the average net worth if, if you look across the U.S. In fact, 54% of the women had assets over $500,000. So 46% had less than 500, but you can see that that 54%, that's, that's a really big number participants to have uh, such, a, such a high net worth. We had some people that were considered high net worth individuals, the range of anywhere from one to five million in net worth that they reported. That was about a quarter of the respondents. And 6% were what we considered ultra high net worth. And these were women who had assets of over five million. Now why I think it's so important to talk about the net worth of these women is because when we talk about these financial challenges that they are facing, that they faced through the process, it's all among women of all different ages, all different incomes, and all different net worths. That is what binds women going through divorce. Yes, obviously, the financial challenges may be different, if you have significant wealth versus coming from a situation where you're leaving the marriage with credit card debt. But all of the women that we talked about had the same fears, concerns, anxiety, and a true feeling that they did not have the experience and education they needed, that they really needed to make sure that they were doing a good job of making smart decisions with their money. I find that fascinating that the patterns that you saw in the study ran across ages, income, and net worth. I think that's just so powerful. Um, the report kicks off with insights about, quote, money before divorce. What were some of the key findings here? You know, the most significant key finding I found that, that just really glared out from all of the respondents' answers is that for the majority of these women, money was a major source of disagreement and a, and a big factor in their divorce. 
And what's interesting, if you look at a lot of the research, it backs up this, that money is one of the most volatile, important issues that is essentially a primary cause for divorce. And for a lot of these women, they agreed and said that money disagreements were a major reason that they ended up having so many fights, marital disputes. Um, unfortunately, the research also tells us that couples who fight about money, um, the intensity of those fights, when it is around money, that subject, the intensity is much, much higher. And that too is part of the reason why if you're fighting a lot in your marriage about money, unfortunately, you are definitely going down the path towards divorce because that is, again, as I mentioned, one of those, those big, big factors. Uh, a lot of the women talked about being concerned about their husband's spending habits, feeling like they had no control, they had no power. In fact, 24% shared that the most significant financial worry during their marriage was, was your, their husband's spending. And that created a lot of stress. It created a lot of stress to be able to find the money to pay everyday bills. In fact, we saw that about a quarter of the women say that in their marriage, that was a day-to-day -day struggle, a day-to-day -day struggle to manage all those bills. 12% said that on top of that, they had significant worries about being able to save for their future while they were married. So again, as we look at these women who answered these questions, money was a significant contributing factor to their divorce. About half of women uh, from a recent sur survey that was released from AARP said that money problems created by their husbands led to their divorce. So these women are, are not alone in saying that money disagreements end up putting you down that path towards Splitsville. Wow. And what you're saying feels highly personal to me. I, I fit your profile, 47, divorce, long-term relationship. And my ex and I now have a very cordial relationship. But one thing we didn't see eye to eye on at all was, was money. Um, and I find this point that husband spending and inability to save for future was such a source of stress. Because I think that's one of the things that in my personal experience working with, with women and just kind of being a bee floating around listening to a lot of these conversations, given what I do professionally, it's not something that we talk about with our friends. It's like a highly personal thing to be upset about about this. And so to have this study letting women know that this is actually very common, um, I think is so helpful. Next up, the report talked about money during divorce. What were some of the salient findings in this portion of your research? You know, we looked at the money behavior during the marriage. So we, again, you know, looked at how they felt about money before they were married, how they felt about money during the marriage. And we asked them about essentially what is their financial decision making? Who made the decisions in the marriage? The results showed quite a few different roles. Uh, and it included quite a few women who were completely not engaged, left 100% in the dark, entirely in the dark about all money matters. On the other hand, a few, and unfortunately a much smaller percentage, were the sole breadwinners 
for the entire family. And they were on the opposite spectrum. They made all the short-term decisions about money. So that means the, the everyday paying bills and the long-term financial decisions. But the number of women who had this role was, was unfortunately minuscule. So what does this mean? Well, it meant that a lot of those women, particularly those that were in the dark, had a lot of anxiety about money while they were making decisions about the rest of their life during their divorce. And the most shocking thing to me in this information, when they were given the opportunity to rate, what were you most concerned about when you were going through the divorce process? List them in order of ranking. The number one issue, even more so than worries about their children, the number one thing they were most worried about was money. In fact, 80% of the respondents put as number one most concerned about was money. Number two was children. 74% said they were worried about their children, their children's welfare. And then the third, the one coming in third, 70% said that they were worried about their living a situation, what they would be able to afford, and, and what that would look like going forward. You know, this issue about being in the dark, I think, is so widespread. I have been having more and more conversations with women about money shame and this really smart, successful women who, you know, raised families under all kinds of situations and, and do all sorts of amazing things professionally and feel really embarrassed that they're not more connected to their finances. And it really interested to hear that, and I don't mean that in a good way, that money was the number one concern even ahead of, of children. And I know in my own case, as I was going through divorce, because I do this for a living and I've been in the financial services industry for 25 years, I, that was the one piece I was not in the dark about. And I was able to shift my emotional energy more towards the grieving of the end of a relationship that I had such high hopes for. And um, it just, it makes me sad because I know having gone through the process, what it feels like to be on the opposite side of in, in the dark. And so my, my deepest hope is that more and more women will continue, you know, anybody listening to this who's considering divorce will really take heart that they're not alone and, and take whatever steps they can um, to get out of the dark if that's where they're feeling. And um, that's probably a perfect segue to the next question I wanted to ask you is that you also dug into money after divorce. What insights did you glean here? Well, we, we saw that this being in the dark has a really big impact on how, how women feel after their divorce. And essentially, only 35% of our women divorce and money respondents felt comfortable in and really understand their investment portfolio after the divorce. So it's very clear that here we are, you know, women who are not engaged in the long-term decision-making, you know, part of investment savings and, and learning how to allocate portfolios and, and being active in that part of their, their marriage translate to not having that understanding and not being active after the divorce, right? And the problem is, is that after the divorce, the stakes are even higher. Uh, it's just you now, right? It's you now making decisions about your financial future. And the dollars you have, every dollar you have after a divorce actually means a whole lot more to a woman 
than a dollar she had when she was married. Because for many of these women, they're not expecting any huge future windfall. This is the money they have. They may be working, but it's not a situation where they're going to be able to add significantly, significantly to this pot of money. So making smart decisions about the investing and, and how this is allocated is, is even more important. Now, what does this mean? Women who don't feel comfortable making decisions about their portfolio and savings and, and what that looks like translates to women not feeling financially secure. And that's what we saw too, 52% of these participants. And remember, remember back to who responded. These are typically higher net worth women. 52% admitted they did not feel financially secure. And while that number doesn't sound bad, about half felt financially secure, that's not right. Because 15% on top of that, that 52%, 15% said that they were so in the dark about their finances, they had no clue if they should even be worried, which is in some ways, um, you know, at least to me, even more concerning. And so there's, there's a lot that these women um, – worry about. And it's not that they're not smart. It's not that they can't do this. It's just they haven't had the experience. And, and I, I, I liken it to this, that let's say, you know, you're, you're on the plane going down to Orlando on JetBlue, going to, you know, have a, a little time at Disney World or wherever you're going to go. And as you're going on, uh, you go past the, the cockpit and the, the pilot jumps out and says, you know what, I'm actually not feeling well. Do you mind stepping in for me? Uh, we would look at them like they have two heads. At least for me, I'm not a pilot. In fact, I, I, I hate flying. And, and you want me to fly this plane? And my life and everybody's life who I'm traveling with is, is dependent on it? Of course. Of course, you would never expect that. But that's what we're expecting women to do and to be able to make smart decisions and essentially be able to, to fly a plane when they've had no experience and no training. Women need to understand about investing during their marriage so that they can make smart decisions when they're on their own. And if women feel like my marriage is perfect, it's not going to end, the majority of women are going to end up alone at some point and have to make financial decisions on their own, whether it's through a divorce or more likely it could also be the fact that your, your husband's going to die before you. Your partner will, if they are a male, will die before you because of the age difference and just the, the normal lifespans. So this is not a nice to know. This is a guess what? You have to know. You know, and I think a lot of people don't realize how stark that statistic is. I, I, and I believe it was from Wiser when I was writing on my own two feet, I came across a stat that said 80% of men die married and 80% of women die single in large part because the difference in lifespan and oftentimes the propensity of women to marry men a couple years older than them. And so it's very, very real what you're talking about. Let's dive into that a little deeper. In study after study, we hear that while women are skilled at the day-to-day -day task of managing money, paying bills, and so forth, investing remains a challenge. And I love um, the pilot and the plane analogy. What did you find out about divorced women and investing? You know, divorced women um, really are, you know, the majority of them are, are not feeling comfortable about 
being able to invest and, and be able to make smart decisions about their investment portfolio. So 40% had worries about outliving their money. 40% had, you know, have, have worries up at night about whether or not they can actually retire. And this is something that, that we're not surprised by um, because what you're saying is, is so true. 79% of women can balance a checkbook and feel comfortable. 72% feel comfortable managing their budget, but only 28% really feel comfortable selecting the right investments. And, and this confidence gap is why women feel less comfortable about investing, but it's also why women tend to be more conservative investors than men. And while that doesn't sound like a big problem, um, it actually can be. In fact, our Women, Divorce, and Money members, they responded in the same way. Only 5%, 5% considered themselves to be aggressive investors. In fact, 95% then, the flip, said, you know what, I'm a conservative investor. But what we found is that many women actually invest too conservatively. They feel like they're being safe. And I'll, I'll really emphasize that word, safe, safe by being all in bonds or having a significant amount of money, too much money that's in cash. If anything, if anything, women need to have more risk in their portfolio, more stocks, more growth, because we live longer. We tend to take more time out of the workforce. Unfortunately, we still earn lower salaries and we often have higher healthcare costs. So investing too conservatively actually puts us, even though we think we're being safe, it puts us at risk of having fewer dollars than we need to pay the bills in our retirement years. So this is something that we really need to think about. And the first step is education because with education, comes knowledge. With knowledge comes power and comfort. And this is something that we've got to start talking about. Yeah, it's so true. This equation, education leads to knowledge, leads to power. It's such a strong correlation. I've seen it over and over again. You also looked into various processes or processes that um, women can use to get divorced and how long it takes. Can you share with us big picture of the different methodologies that can be used to get divorced and, and what is recommended and how long does the average divorce even take? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so we interviewed women um, and the methods that the women used uh, among the, the women who we worked with uh, for this survey, litigation, mediation, collaborative, and arbitration. Um, the last three, mediation, collaborative, and arbitration are considered what's called alternative dispute resolutions. And so ultimately, those types of process of going through the divorce is trying to keep the couple out of court. Litigation is actually the most common methods. And if couples cannot agree, then litigation will take them to court for that, that court, that judge to decide how much they will receive in support for alimony as well as issues of custody and, and visitation. 
So 40% of the women used litigation. But what's interesting, if they were to recommend to one of their dear friends what process to use, 41% recommended mediation, 38% recommended collaborative, 8% arbitration. Only 13% would recommend litigation. So you can see a disconnect between the method used, but what they would recommend. And the length of the divorce process, and I think this is one of the most common misunderstandings, it's not a sprint. Unfortunately, divorce is a marathon. According to Martindale Nolo research, the average time it would take across the U.S. is 10.7 months. Um, that was according to their 2014 survey. Um, but we saw that the time that it took for the women responding was much, much, much higher. And the factors that really had the biggest impact on that were whether or not they were, went to court or they settled, if it was amicable or contentious, um, if there were worries about hidden assets, also what kind of assets as well. So those, that was something that had a really big impact. And the majority of the women were not in that, that normal short time frame. We had women saying that on average, it took between one to two years. We even had some women sharing that three, four, five years plus, especially for those very contentious or very high asset divorces. Wow. And, you know, uh, my ex and I used alternative dispute resolution, and I completely agree with the other survey respondents that it is, you know, divorce is never pleasant. But relative to litigation, I found it a really surprisingly effective approach. And I'm, I'm so glad that you focused on that in the study, because I think a lot of people don't realize that there are four options. It's not just litigation. You can do mediation or collaborative or, or arbitration. And, and the, the costs can, can differ across that, too. So let's turn to that. What, what are the costs typically associated with getting divorced? <laughs> wow. You know, it's interesting. Take the cost of your honeymoon. And, and if you can think about that, you know what that is, uh, you're lucky. You are lucky if that's all you have to pay to get divorced. We see that uh, the things that really increase the cost were, are essentially where you live. Um, here in New York City, the hourly rate for a lawyer is much, much higher than, let's say, Ohio or, or Iowa. Uh, if you're going to go to court, you might as well just open your, your checkbook because court essentially will move your, your divorce case to the highest echelon of, of cost. Whether, again, it, you know, it's amicable or contentious, if you're worried about hidden assets and the types of assets. Uh, but the biggest factor actually is what method you use. And litigation cases typically tend to be much more expensive than cases who go through alternative dispute resolution, um, much more expensive, and actually litigation tends to be longer. You asked survey respondents to reflect on mistakes that they made during the process. What were some of the most common mistakes cited? The most frequent mistakes were not understanding money. And 
feeling considered the, the long term. So many women, divorce is such a painful process. You just want to get through it, right? But forgetting to think that I need to think about not only where I am today and tomorrow, but 5, 10, even 20 years and how this is going to impact me. Too many women we see uh, taking the primary home and not being able to afford it and finding themselves backed into a corner, having to sell it in a fire sale situation, having to shoulder all the costs of that sale, and unfortunately even having to pay gains on the value of the home when it could have been done being shared by their their ex during the the divorce or, or shortly after. A lot of women don't take the time to actually know the assets. And knowing the assets, ideally, it needs to be happening during your marriage. If you don't know where all the money is, that is a huge red flag because any marriage, you should know that information. In fact, if you go to Webster, the the actual definition of marriage is that it is an economic union. It is an economic union. So if you don't know where all the money is, um, you're actually not living up to what a real marriage is. And then unfortunately, not knowing the tax impact. A dollar in a savings account or a checking account is worth a dollar. A dollar that might be in a 401k, you need to remember that 40 cents are going to go to the government for every dollar that's in that account. So understanding the tax impact is a really important thing too, as far as what assets you end up taking. Yeah, uh, the, the tax impact and understanding um, that every dollar is not the same, I think is one of the, the most eye-opening things I've found from a financial perspective in talking to people about divorce. It's just, it's like cold water on top of an already shocked system to, to learn that. What, what is the best way for women to prepare for a divorce, both in terms of documents to collect and the support networks to create? It's, it's definitely getting savvy about money and getting savvy and having the right professionals in your life. So let's talk about money first. Most important thing, get copies, preferably within the last 30 days, of all of your accounts with the values, the holdings, the account titles, so, so whose name is on them. And that includes 401ks, IRAs, non-retirement accounts, checking accounts, savings accounts. Also make sure that you understand what your debts are. So what is your mortgage? Are there any home equity line of credits as an addition? Is there uh, a significant amount of credit card debt? And if so, which cards have debt and, and what are their interest rates? Know what the insurance policies are. So do you have life insurance, disability, long-term care? What does that look like? as well as, if possible, copies of insurance for your house, for your car. I also tell people, um, this sounds odd, but look at the property deed. There are times when uh, we've had people say that I'm on the title to this property, and we go through the divorce process and realize that he bought the house with an inheritance and, funny enough, never added her name to the deed. That can create a, a big issue. If possible, um, make sure you get uh, three years of tax returns. If you have uh, any worries about hidden assets or if your spouse has a business, a closely held business, I would go back even further. I would go back five to seven years. Um, and then if there's any prenups or postnuptial agreements, you'll want to get those as well. 
if you're not sure um, where these assets are, a thing you can do is you can go back to get your credit report. Uh, also, try and get a credit report for your husband. That's going to show all of any of the lines of credit, maybe even things you don't know. And if you're worried about hidden assets, your, your tax return is going to tell you a lot. But you can also get the application for any recent uh, credit lines that you've gotten. So the application for a HELOC or application for a mortgage, your spouse will be putting every single asset under the face of this planet on there to impress them to get that line of credit. So it's, again, a great way, if you're able to see that, to see some assets that maybe you don't even know about. As far as support professionals, again, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And so I would reach out to a financial professional ideally a CDFA, a certified divorce financial analyst. They actually know what they're doing when it talks to, you know, when they talk to you about what to do during divorce. I would also start to interview matrimonial attorneys. Know that reaching out to a CDFA or a matrimonial attorney does not mean that you're going to get divorced. It doesn't mean that. It just means that you're getting educated, which is really important. No matter what, you should have a therapist. I feel like anybody particularly who lives a busy life, should have a therapist. Trust me, I do too. And, and start to look at some other resources. In fact, divorce coaches, it's kind of a new profession. Um, very helpful, very helpful for women. Even thinking about divorce of how do I prepare for myself? How do I help my children? These are, are individuals that understand everything about divorce and often themselves have, have gone through the divorce process themselves. This has just been tremendously helpful, a true wealth of information about what divorce really, really looks like. I, I can't thank you enough. And I'd like to end on kind of a, an upbeat note. It's a question that I love to ask because to me, it really gets to the heart of why we bother with all this money stuff to begin with. So my question is, what is exciting and energizing you right now, either professionally or personally or both and making you feel all sparkly inside. I love this. I love this. I just did something I never thought I could do before. And I took more time off this summer to be with my, my family than I ever have. I was nervous and I was scared, but it was wonderful. And so I am continuing to go with that and continuing to find out where can I bring that, that balance into my life. And so this year I'm taking half days on Mondays and half days on Fridays, picking up the kids from school and then doing all different things. Like I was just researching cooking classes we can take together. And the thing I have found is that it, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm working less because I still have the same amount of work to do, right? Unfortunately, <laughs> work doesn't go away. But I'm allowing myself those precious moments of space with the people I love. And then just knowing that at other times, I'll make up for that. And I will get that work done. But giving myself that permission and also giving myself permission to take care of myself. And so I am working with a personal trainer. I just hired a nutrition coach to help me, to give me extra energy. And I am doing phenomenally well. I'm losing weight. 
I have energy. In fact, we just got back from a cruise to Alaska. And as you know about cruises, you usually come home seven to 10 pounds heavier. My husband and I came home and we lost weight. And so I am just feeling so sparkly and so blessed. And if there's ever a moment where I feel overwhelmed, which trust me, happens a lot, I just go back to that gratitude and that being thankful and that moment where I just need to breathe through and and be appreciative of all those wonderful things that I have. So I'm very blessed. I love to hear you talking about taking space and time for yourself, especially um, as we talked about in the introduction, given how many things you are involved with and that um, you're still able to get the work done, but I'm guessing with an even clearer head because you had some time for rest and recovery. And just like muscles need to rest and recover when you're working them out, so do our heads and our souls. So go you. To learn more about your work, where can listeners go? I am super proud of our website. So visit our website, please do. We actually have great, beautiful photography of our clients. It's very special. And if you go to www.francisfinancial.com, there's a wealth of information about helping you get smart about money and doing it in a way that's comfortable and dare say fun. I know that money and fun, you may not may not think of that, but it's just a very welcoming, warm, inviting place to go to start to start your journey wherever you happen to be, wherever that journey might be. Um, but, you know, knowing about money, it's not just a one-time thing. It's something that will support you um, and help you live a happier, more fulfilling life for the rest of your life. So true. And, and that's Francis Financial with an I-S. So F-R-A-N-C-I-S Financial, F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L.com. And I'll echo the, the photography um, and the stories on the site are just uplifting. So Stacey, thank you so much for joining us here today. This has been a wonderful conversation. And my hope is that for any women listening, whether they're going through divorce or they have friends going through divorce or they're just trying to understand how to protect themselves through what hopefully will be a very long and happy marriage. Um, and also for any investment professionals who are listening to this to know how to better serve their clients and, and understand what um, is running through their head. I think that you did such a phenomenal job of, of giving insights for both of those groups. So thank you. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you. And, and if anyone listening, a financial professional or a woman thinking about that, would like a copy of our study, uh, you can get it right on the website. It's right on the homepage. And you can email us uh, for a hard copy if you like, or um, there's a link to the electronic version. So it's right there. And I highly recommend, um, if you have an interest in this topic, reading the report. It's really, really well done. Thanks, Stacey. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the Money Zen Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be incredibly grateful if you'd go to iTunes and leave a review. The more reviews this podcast receives, the easier it will be for other women and families to find this information. It only takes a minute to leave a review on iTunes, and it will have a big impact. If you'd like more information or to stay connected with me, simply go to moneyzen.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, see a full listing of past podcasts, and connect with me on social media. Lastly, I'd just like to end by saying 
Never in the history of the world have women in aggregate been able to have the level of control around our finances as we do today. At the same time, we appear to be at a very unique period in the history of the world. As I tape these episodes across the globe, there is anger, hurt, divisiveness, and outrage around so many issues. By helping yourself and the women around you stand on your own two financial feet, you are putting yourself in a stronger position to make whatever impact you feel you can to shift this negative energy to the positive and impact the causes you care about. So thank you for listening and helping spread the word. Here's to your money's end.